0: if you if you try to just like push back sort of exactly counter to something that you're getting from someone their response is to dig in their heels and push back harder.
1: If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication,
0: and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you.
2: But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships,
0: broaden your
1: sexual horizons,
2: develop a better understanding of yourself,
0: or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily, And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi Amory Podcast. Oh! On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about backlash in response to being non-monogamous. What causes it and how to handle it?
2: You know, I think when I was little, I confused the term backlash with backwash.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
2: they're not the same thing. Wait, ew. Yeah, yeah, one's much more grosser than the other, but the other is much more painful than the other. And
0: I they're see. They're both bad things. Because in, in planning this episode and seeing backlash i kept thinking about backdraft the movie oh yeah
2: yeah yeah that's a good one or yeah. also whiplash. What, mo- what is
0: that movie it's about fire
2: yeah yeah it's great
0: okay <laughs> anyway <laughs>
2: backlash uh so okay here's the thing is that we are living at a time where i think personally that non-traditional relationships are more visible than they ever have been for been before um you know, we're we're tackling it on television shows, on news stories, on articles, you know, of course, there's, you know, podcasts like us, there's a lot of people creating content, people are writing about the subject at length. But all those things aside, it still tends to make people really uncomfortable. Usually the idea of anything outside non-monogamy, whether or outside monogamy, I mean, whether it is non-monogamy or polyamory or swinging or open relationships or anything under that umbrella. And The lack of understanding can be really hard for anyone who's trying to conduct a functioning non-monogamous relationship, for anyone who's just come out about that, or anyone who's already part of a marginalized group, such as people who are disabled, LGBTQ, or people of color.
1: Yeah. So we're going to, to today, talk about backlash, like kind of on a smaller scale, Um, We have already gone over more like serious legal concerns, legal ramifications from coming out as polyamorous, um, things like losing a child uh, from child custody or just being fired from a job, stuff like that. Um, So more info on those things, you should check out episode 167 um, for, for like the legal kind of side of those things. Episode 167 is a good place to look. Um, and all of those obviously are very serious things, but they're not probably as common as like smaller day-to-day prejudices that we tend to go through um, just by merit of being polyamorous, uh, being non-monogamous, or coming out as either of those things for the first time to your friends, your co-workers, your family, stuff like that. So I was interested in doing this episode and kind of revisiting some of these things just because... I a friend of mine Mackenzie recently um has definitely sort of had a little bit of backlash to me about these things. I think it's brought up some things within her uh regarding probably like infidelity, like it brings mm-hmm. up feelings uh, about her thoughts obviously on infidelity. Um, maybe even her thoughts on bisexuality or LGBTQ issues, stuff like that. And uh, just kind of by merit of like being around the three of us, uh, which she's, she's been in some situations with the three of us. I think it's, it's caused like those feelings to come up and it is unfortunately sort of manifested in some backlash, some, uh, difficult things that have kind of stressed our current relationship, and so, um, and our friendship. And I think that's just something that I wanted to take a look at, like why that happens, because it it definitely feels as though it's it's a prevalent thing that um, those of us in any like different community deal with.
2: And this isn't your first rodeo with this, no. Um, with with like friends of yours, really, really taking umbrage to not only your relationships, but also, like, your sexuality and things mm-hmm. like that. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, especially when I was first coming out. I'm, I've talked about this probably at length on the on the podcast, but when Jason and I were first opening up and uh, at first coming out, like, being in relationships with women as well, all of those things sort of caused uh, one of my very good friends, Tina, to to be have like very visceral responses to it. And she was getting married at the time. And I think again, like the idea of loving more than one person or having a a meaningful relationship with more than one person just caused a lot of like things to go off in her brain and um, a lot of triggers, perhaps I don't Hmm. really know, but yeah, all of those things kind of happened. So I I don't know. Have you two experienced similar things? Oh yeah, recently. Definitely. I mean, obviously, I know about some of them, but but
0: recently, even as as stuff come up, like with friends or family, I think that it's something that you know can look different in different situations. I know for me, it's it more often comes up in more of a subtle way rather than like like what you're dealing with right now, Emily, where you have a mm-hmm. friend who's like very clearly reacting to this and and struggling with it and kind of taking some of that out on you or expecting you to do the emotional labor of, you know, dealing with her anxiety around your lifestyle choices. Um, But I think for me, it's come up more in subtle ways of realizing that there's kind of um, perhaps some underlying fear or insecurity or something that will come up from friends of mine who maybe Mm. feel like I might be some kind of threat to their way of being or some sort of threat to their relationships, even if that's not the way I'm viewing it. And that's not actually the reality of the situation that, that it's a little bit more of like a subtle underlying thing. Um, At least right now, obviously when I first was coming out, there were some bigger reactions from people um, of just more of that, like, maybe people feeling like they're not as comfortable being around me or talking about relationships with me, almost like assuming that any conversation with me is going to lead to me trying to like destroy their relationships or trying yeah. to, to change the way that they do things. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, I guess recently for me, I mean, it, it it's so hard because it, it's kind of hard to, to uh, piece out like, what is kind of like the stuff that you've just gotten used to after a certain (laughs) point versus what actually stands out. I guess what stands out is like recently, yeah, a few months ago, like a friend of my mother's, um, when I started talking about like the work that I do and about the podcast, like really didn't have necessarily like, not like a violent or like aggressive reaction, but definitely like kind of a negative surprise, shocked, baffled reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, which is strange because this person I also learned was like a huge burner, and um, <laughs> was like all like also had been in like some kink relationships in the past, and it's like usually uh, the combination of those two things means like talking about non-monogamy. It's all cool,
1: right? Yeah. Exactly,
2: like it's all cool, but but I don't know. I, I feel like I'm seeing more and more often. It's starting to be a little bit of a generational thing to a certain extent. Like I, I think. Because, you know, he's my parents' generation and I think he's, Mm. I don't know, still very much hanging on to the same thing of kind of like, oh, like, you know, kind of the assumptions of like, no, that never works, that never works, that never works. I don't care if you've identified this way for 10 years, it never works, it never works, it never works, you know. So I think that was, that's kind of been my most recent experience with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's something that Jace just said earlier that there's this idea that just by merit of like talking about non-monogamy or being involved in it in any way it's going to be like a bad thing for someone else's relationship or cause them you know that fear of the polyamorous possibility that we've talked of before and that kind of underlying fear sometimes is there regardless of you know obviously whether or not you're trying to date someone or Mm -hmm. whatever or you know you're not necessarily like infringing upon their relationship in any way but but that idea that it could happen is mm-hmm. something that is so scary to people. And I think we'll get a little bit more into that later.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to get into to all of this more later. Mm-hmm. But I just it made me think that there's definitely a parallel with um, another project that I'm working on right now that has to do with masculinity specifically mm. and kind of the way we're talking about that right now, what that means to people, and then also how it relates to polyamory but in a lot of like the news articles that are critical of like college courses now that are on masculinity and things like that, or that are examining it, this idea that like, Oh, you're trying to destroy masculinity by Hmm. examining it. Hmm. And I think there is a certain when, when people have very deeply identified with something in their life, whether that's monogamy which we're all kind of taught that that's something you should really identify with, especially if you're like a romantic type of person, that like yeah. monogamy should be something that you hold very highly. Uh, or, you know, masculinity can also be an example of that, something that you're taught is like this is a key part of your identity and you have yeah. to hold on to this. That even just looking at it too closely is threatening. Mm-hmm. And so, if someone's starting to just examine it, even that alone is a threat. Um, yeah. Geez. So I think there's definitely something to like the scariness of examining something you've never looked at up close. Mm. Yeah. Even if someone's wow. not trying to destroy that thing or take it apart, you feel like they must be because like, ah, let's not look too closely over there.
2: Interesting.
1: Huh. Yeah. Geez, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So, okay, let's kind of define
0: some terms that are being thrown around right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of words being thrown around right now are, you know, things like backlash or bigotry or Mm -hmm. prejudice or discrimination. And so, for this episode, we did want to clarify two of those, which are specifically prejudice and discrimination.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, prejudice is, um, this is actually from Eli Chef. She wrote an article in Psychology Today And so this is coming from her, but it's making judgments about a specific kind of person based on stereotypes, assumptions, and incomplete or actively faulty information. So usually the person being judged is part of an assumed homogenous mass of others who are different in some way from the person who is judging them. Mm -hmm.
2: And so then specifically discrimination is taking that prejudice, you know, taking those prejudicial thoughts or attitudes and then enacting them and applying them in real life. And that can be either in the way that you behave toward the person or group of people that you're prejudiced against in the way that you interact with them or even to the level of laws that are enacted um, that Mm. may hamper or limit or undermine the group that is being prejudiced against.
0: And I think something that's involved in both of these is that this is a minority group. And this comes up a lot in discussions about racism online, where like the question of does reverse racism, racism exist. And I think that
2: reverse sexism or
0: reverse sexism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That um, that discrimination here, I think part of that is that it's something a little bit larger and more systemic and that is part of this um, part of a larger structure that's so like just being like, you know, a, a polyamorous person being like, I'm not going to date a monogamous person isn't discrimination. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Like that's, that's something, maybe that's a prejudice of like oh, all monogamous people. Like I can't be friends with them. Maybe that's a prejudice, yeah. but that's a very different thing from discrimination mm. because mm. that, you know, monogamous people are not, a, a community like who's institutionally being, marginalized, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, yeah. okay, so these behaviors and these attitudes, you know, of being prejudiced or discriminating or giving some form of, of backlash or like negative reaction, what actually causes that? Is it just because human beings are trash? Because I could definitely <laughs> yes support that theory. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but no, there there are actually, like, neurological reasons, some of which we talked about in our uh, Wired for Love episode, um, which talked a lot about, like, ambassadors and primitives and things like that um, within the brain. So, yeah, the the amygdala, we're going back to that. So the amygdala stores fear responses, and it's also responsible for the expression of those responses. Mm -hmm. So the way, yeah, which I found interesting, like, the amygdala can kind of store a bunch of different fear responses over the years and then can kind of like also express that. That's the thing, the the like immediate response that you may have about something, which we talked about the primitives. Um, mm. Like having in that, that knee jerk reaction. Exactly. The knee jerk reaction before you have time to really assess the situation. It's kind of that like fight or flight response that just like occurs automatically that may um, occur automatically if you let it, uh, and then uh, something that was interesting in one of the articles that we read was that there's a strong correlation between levels of serotonin in the brain and moral social behavior. So, for example, they've done studies where uh, they they see people with depleted serotonin levels, and those people were found to have more aggression and less social cooperation than those with normal or higher serotonin levels. So they are doing a lot of different studies about the brain. Um, And about, you know, the reasoning why people would be more aggressive towards like a certain group of people Mm -hmm. uh, because they are kind of looking at why so many different um, like racist riots are happening Mm -hmm. or people are lashing out against marginalized communities. And they're trying to look at what is happening within the brain and why these are sort of becoming more prevalent right now.
2: So the idea being that the amygdala, like it hangs on to these different fear responses that may have been taught or may have been ingrained in you in some form or fashion, Mm. whether that's from like a past bad experience or something like that. And then if you have depleted serotonin levels that if I'm... If I'm interpreting this correctly, that leads you to not having an like having fewer inhibitions as far as being
1: aggressive and and kind of essentially not socially cooperating. Is that right? I think perhaps yeah. Mm-hmm. They they don't necessarily like say that both of those things are obviously going to produce a specific response, but mm-hmm. just that their studies over time have shown. X, Y, and Z, that like depleted serotonin levels also can mean this, can mean Mm -hmm. that one might be more aggressive or more, you know, whatever towards another person. Yeah. Or another group of people. Okay. Um, So again, perhaps we can sort of see from that, that if a person uh, has like a PTSD response in the Mm -hmm. amygdala or, or if they've, you know, for instance, been, cheated on in the past that their fear response may be to a polyamorous person or a non-monogamous person oh shit that means that that in some way is going to happen again to me Mm. and so therefore i'm going to have a bad response to them for example
2: right so so i think it makes sense because like i think we've seen like when this fear response kicks in from people for instance with the whole quote-unquote like gay panic thing yeah the idea you know that it's okay for me to lash out in a panic if i see someone's homosexual behavior or if i think that someone's homosexual behavior is gonna um you know is gonna affect me in some way uh, at mm-hmm. least you know i mean it's not actually okay we're not saying that but like that's been used as a defense in the past and i think we see that also in the backlash against transgender people that it does come from like this fear response as well that kind of drives it. So what are like the factors, and Emily were starting to touch on it, like what are the factors that would stimulate that same fear response that would cause backlash against someone who's in some form of non-monogamous relationship?
0: Right, so to tie it to the the fear response here is that something that is perceived as a threat to our tribe, right? If we're thinking kind of evolutionary psych here, that yeah. something that's a threat to our identity and therefore our membership in this tribe is a very, it feels like a very real threat, even if it's not. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially this is something that's very different in our modern world than it would have been, you know, back living in a tribe. But to use that example about homosexuality, there's this sense that like, okay, if I believe that in order to exist in my tribe, I have to be heteronormative, just like I think everybody else is, if something comes along that challenges that, especially if there's some part of me that can relate to it a little bit, mm. that fear of like, oh, God, this is trying to take me out of my tribe where I'm not going to be safe, where I'm going to starve and die on my own out in the wilderness and not have the support of my tribe anymore because of this threat. And so that's that like very visceral visceral fear response that's in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Emily, what were you going to? Yeah, just it
1: essentially with this friend, I I told her that I was attracted to her, that I found her to be sexually attractive, and not really obviously with like any anything in mind of me saying that that was going to lead to anything. Mm-hmm. I think I just did it because I you know wanted to give her a compliment or something. I don't even know, but but that has definitely caused a lot of questioning and a lot of. Um, Maybe not anger, but but definitely like a, a very specific response within her that is, I think, um, potentially that fear of, you know, just being different or, or or people going to be perceiving me, you know, as gay or as homosexual or as uh, bisexual or something because Emily found me to be attractive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and that's been really hard to deal with because I'm, I am i didn't think that it needed to be that big of a deal, but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it did become this big freaking deal
0: that I said that. Right. So in the same way that our sexuality and that identity can become so ingrained as like, this is what allows me to be part of society and part of my tribe. And if I let mm-hmm. go of that identity or I challenge that identity, I could be kicked out and abandoned and die the, yeah. the same thing happens with the romantic monogamous bonds that our current society draws on because the way we talk about monogamy is so associated with feelings of safety and of mm. trust and these kind important
2: like, like stability
0: right yeah. These yeah very like basic level like yes I need these to survive as a social creature which is a human being mm-hmm. um, that we tie it so you know that's why we hear stuff like, I'm afraid that I'll end up alone someday if I don't settle down or if I don't get someone now, I'm gonna be lonely or I'm gonna have no security in my life for all these things we've we've tied that to marriage, right? yeah, and so and this and this is also something that's fairly unique to human beings and even the idea of like permanent monogamy specifically is very unique to our species like the the only yeah. other Creatures out there that are like permanently like lifelong monogamous are like Like gibbons and like creatures that like, like parasites that will actually like fuse their bodies with each other. So they literally cannot, (laughs) um, cannot separate from each other. Right. It's actually a very unique thing. Yeah,
2: that's really gross.
0: Yeah. Um, and that, and that more often it's things like penguins. Like we'll have this beautiful documentary looking at how romantic penguins are and how monogamous they are, leaving out the fact that after that child leaves the nest, they separate and will find other partners. And
2: then <laughs> right? they become like monogamous with that other partner for. They're the like duration serial of monogamists, exactly. Mm, interesting.
0: Exactly. Yeah. There but, you go. But we're taught to think this is some very universal thing, and it's actually not. Mm. Um, and some would argue it's not natural for humans either, and that doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean monogamy is bad. Mm-hmm. It sure. just means it's not easy for us. It's not natural. And I think that when you tie those two things together, the fact that, there, that monogamy is difficult, at least in the way that it's portrayed how it should go, or suddenly I only have eyes for you, mm-hmm. that's very difficult. And at the same time, we're told that's the only way to have safety and security and yeah. have a meaningful life. And when you pair those two things together, anything that threatens that is really, really mm-hmm. scary. Which I think
2: is really interesting that it's, you know, we do look at it socially as such a foundation when at the same time, you know, the rates of if you look at the rates of infidelity and also the fact that like just infidelity itself, it's something that like most people have some kind of touch point to. Whether it's you personally were cheated on or you personally cheated on someone or your parents like cheated on each other or a friend, like you knew, have some friends in your close friend circle that are like cheating on or experiencing infidelity. It's like by the time that you're in your 20s or 30s, uh, you have some kind of personal touch point to infidelity, um,
1: or a few, or a few, <laughs> yeah, usually most probably a several. few. And so yeah. that's really uh-huh. interesting
2: that you know, of course, that rather than that highlighting to us how common. Uh, at least the desire for non-monogamy is with some people, but that means that there's a touch point. That means that there's the potential for there to be that visceral fear response Mm -hmm. in a person, because usually that's the thing is like when we have a touch point to infidelity, Uh, generally that's a very painful thing. It's like Mm. either we experience that pain personally, or we saw our parents experience that pain personally, or we see a friend experience that pain personally. And that's also on both sides, even for the person who is cheating, like Mm -hmm. usually ends up experiencing a lot of pain as well. Um, And so it's like, there are already these built-in pathways for so many people that if something that's like, you know, presented that's outside the bounds of monogamy even if it is ethical and honest and communicative that it can still bring up the set that kind of stored up fear response in the amygdala that then kind of produces a a backlash response.
1: Yeah, totally. And again, we talked earlier about like the primitive thing. So they can just lash out and have like this very poor response to non monogamy when they're confronted with the idea that um, a potential relationship structure could be different than just two people together, and that's it. Um, and again, like like I said before, uh, the whole thing with oh, am I, you know, am I presenting that I maybe am gay or not because Emily is interested in me or or finds me sexually attractive or because I see her with. Uh, Jason Dedeker, and they have such a good relationship, does that mean, and and that looks nice to me, does that mean that maybe I want to be mm. polyamorous, and does that mean that I'm going to cheat on my partner? And that's, like, the kind of responses that I've heard, yeah. and again, it's just sort of stemming from, like, this one thing, or or just, like, even viewing, like, something different than what you are, and uh, what you've always been, mm. and it, it's so fascinating, like to see where that fear takes us.
2: Right. I just wanted to clarify uh, in talking about the primitives, talking that the primitives refer to like those knee jerk responses, those like unconscious yes. responses from the brain, not like primitive people or anything <laughs> yeah, like no, that. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah I just when wanted we were to talking clarify. about the primitives and the yeah. Um, yeah. what was it? The primitives and the ambassadors. And the ambassadors. Yeah. You can find out yeah. more information if you listen to our Wired for Love episode
0: episode yeah right
2: Right.
0: for a long time now we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories things like that it's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now not only do we have a fantastic offer but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com which are their sites specifically for lgbtq audiences and our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free, discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI.
1: Yes, we love and com, and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just
2: That's Multi, M-U-L-T-I, at AdamandEve.com, AdamMail.com, or Eve'sToys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
0: All right. So let's get back into talking about some ways that... like, What are the ways that this sort of... Prejudice shows up kind of in our daily lives. If you're someone who is non-monogamous or polyamorous, or even just kind of considering it, or like like we were talking about earlier, even just questioning or examining the assumptions of how relationships go. Uh, So the first one that comes up is this automatic assumption that if you are in a non-monogamous relationship, it means you're obsessed with sex, Mm. Uh, and that. Part of it that goes along with this is also the assumption that being obsessed with sex is bad hmm. um, right because we do still live in a pretty puritanical society and we have yeah. a weird relationship to sex in our in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that and and the irony of course being that most of us realize that a lot of our serial monogamous friends or just our casual dating friends, are having way way more sex. sex.
2: (laughs) So much more sex. Good Lord. Than
0: people who are polyamorous, who are actually building multiple relationships and using our energy for that. Um, Anyway, the second one is then the assumption that polyamory is just a way to relabel cheating. Right. Mm. And that, so, Oh, okay. You're just coming up with some fancy justification for this shitty, awful thing that you're doing. Mm. Right. Which then leads back to what we were talking about earlier about people's triggers or things that you know activate them about past trauma that they've experienced related to infidelity and that they kind of associate those things mm-hmm. just being like oh you're just trying to say that cheating's okay but look at all this bad stuff that happened in my life because of it right
1: yeah i'm yeah And even though there are a lot more news stories out there, a lot more articles being written about polyamory and non-monogamy, I think that they still have a lot of misinformation in them. And I still find articles out there like, there was this one article from this feminist blogger talking about the trouble with polyamory. And basically it was just like a bunch of different men that were pretty much just cheating on their partners and calling it polyamory. But it was sort of like conflating like, well, you know, men are socialized to want a bunch of different partners, so it makes sense that they're just gonna be doing this. And it it was a really sad article. I was like, this is not cool. And then also the why polyamory isn't for everyone. I think we've talked about that before. That That video. video. (laughs) Yeah, that video. It's just like
0: Okay. It's just full of this these is, ridiculous assumptions about what polyamory is. Right. Like the no, assumption like, that,
2: like, if you're polyamorous, like you're going to be listening to your partner have sex with someone else in the other room and they're not going to let you join. Or, and that, and yeah. And that suck. if your
0: partner is polyamorous, they're going to instantly have no regard for your well being <laughs> yeah. or how you're doing and just ignore you because they're having so much fun with everybody else. Right. Just yeah, all exactly. these. Yeah, just absurd things. And then it gets, you know, millions of views on YouTube.
1: Yeah. Well, that's
2: why we have a podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we named millions, but yeah.
2: Well, so I think it is so interesting and it's like it's gotten to the point where it's like anytime someone sends me a news article mm. or my newsfeed like feeds me up yeah, an article yeah. that has to do with non monogamy or polyamory, like my stomach drops. It mm. used to be like like six or seven years ago, it used to be like, oh, it's so exciting. People are talking about it. I want to read it. Oh, it's so great. And now I'm just like, ugh, Ugh. like, how is this article going to piss me off this time? Like,
0: What terrible things are they going to say? What
2: terrible things are they going to say? Usually unintentionally, though. Usually it's like the intention is like, we want to explore this, but then the result is just like, usually it's like misrepresented like like they find only like you know the super white
1: white triad, triad of male of,
2: female exactly female. of a dude and two bisexual women um, it's
0: usually people trying to be very controlling of each other yes. that they highlight mm. in these articles it's usually
2: people who've only been together like six
0: months or something yeah, and think true. they've got it all and they're figured out and, yeah. and, and they think they have it all figured or out or the yeah.
2: article tries to be like the way it works is because you have a primary partner and a secondary partner and I'm just like oh gosh like geez just come on.
1: So the other thing is that I think there's this kind of assumption by some people that polyamorous people are polyamorous just because they suck at commitment or mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. shitty at monogamy, or they can't be in a normal relationship, and so they have to like be involved in a lifestyle that allows them to not have to like fully invest in one single person. Um, it, because we've all heard that just people saying, Oh, well, okay, you you actually just don't want to be committed to anyone. Like you actually just aren't ready for that yet. Like I I understand. So you're just kind of sleeping around or doing whatever Mm -hmm. while, you know, you're figuring yourself out or something.
2: Right. I think I see it a lot as people being like, well, in my day we just called that dating around or, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, you know, or is that what the kids are calling, you know, sleeping around these (laughs) days Um, that, yeah, it's kind of this implication that you can't commit or you're afraid to commit. Or Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with you that you can't have, like, a quote-unquote normal relationship.
0: I mean, to to bring it to the idea of, like, why this is threatening, though, to people Mm. and why they react with this fear response, I think it's because... there's sort of this idea that if you're bad at commitment, you you should be a little bit ashamed about that
1: mm, yeah. because
0: I work so hard to be committed because it's not easy for me either. Like we talked about, like monogamy doesn't come naturally to humans. It's something we have to work very hard at. Uh, and so there's this thing of like, if you're trying to tell me that polyamory, which in my head means just not good at committing, you're trying to tell me that that's okay. It's okay to not be that good that at committing. And that that can be a good thing then you're sort of devaluing all the work that all of us do to have commitment. And you're just trying to sort of like lower the moral quality of the people of our society, right? There's like all this baggage that comes with it, just based off that tiny assumption that Emily pointed out.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally.
2: Yeah. And I think another reason why I can produce that fear response is that for some people, it's seen as like a kink. And again, as we said, like, we're in such a puritanical scary, society. Scary. Exactly. But like <laughs> yeah. any kinky anything is like really threatening and uncomfortable for people. The idea that like even kink itself can be super disruptive to the way that we conduct our society or that it can be destru- destructive to the way that we conduct uh, traditional romantic relationships or the way that we create families, um... You know, I think this is just, I don't want to get off on a whole tangent about the, <laughs> you know, the the supposed attack on family values and family structure and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's all very much it's a part related, of this. Yeah. It's all related. Yeah. Um,
1: what the hell is a family value? Like what constitutes that over anything else?
2: Who the heck knows? Gosh, that's
1: a whole That's a whole, a whole
2: other, other thing.
0: thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
2: and it, this may also compound and uh, be magnified by other prejudices that already exist about one's identity so for instance like assuming that you know your relationship format is somehow like inherently related to or caused by for instance your race and Mm -hmm. i know like maybe you hear that and you're like that's ridiculous but it's like if you we've talked about this before i think with eli chef that if you already have this prejudice for instance that like latinas are fiery and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ravenous in bed then in your brain it's like oh then it totally makes sense that she would want to have multiple partners because it fits with already these preconceived notions that I have about her racial identity um, mm-hmm. right. same thing with your sexuality of like oh well you're homosexual you're gay and like I know so that
0: also you're sex crazed because of that exactly so you're sex gonna, crazed yeah. because of
2: that and I know that gays just love being in throuples or whatever like weirdo <laughs> I know it sounds weird don't we- ever say that word I, I know I'm sorry I know it sounds weird but I'm j- literally just repeating things that i've heard from other people yeah, um, yeah. Or, or if it's something like you know you're gender fluid or you're non-binary or you're transgender and oh you're some kind of deviant already so it makes sense that you'd want to be mm-hmm. deviant in this way also um so that's kind of another thing that can just like compound and kind of even multiply the fear response as well um hmm and then of course last but not least as we said this also manifests ultimately as much more serious consequences you know like we said like loss of child custody or losing your job or uh, yeah. sadly experiencing some kind of severance of family and friend connections as well.
0: Yeah. So let's get into some hopeful things, right? So <laughs> oh there's hopeful thank things. Thank goodness. So what can people who are in non-traditional relationships do? to try to minimize the amount of backlash that they'll experience or to help protect themselves against it.
1: Good Um, question.
0: Yeah. So, so first like some things to be aware of is that some of these things can seem very small, right? Like these little comments or just little things you have to justify over and over. They can seem small, but they do add up, right? As does this constant feeling of kind of what things can I tell to whom? Right. Yeah. This, this constant thing. And it's a low level, but it does actually add up over time and create a certain amount of mental effort you're having to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you might have some things like friends and family who checked up on you in previous relationships, like kind of like, Oh, you know, good to see you. Like, how's your partner doing right how's your boyfriend doing how's your girlfriend doing whatever now suddenly they might not ask you those questions anymore because they don't know how to ask or they feel weird about it it, or or feel like oh now your relationships are just sort of a sex thing and that's not something that That you can talk talk about in polite company so Mm. right so again these sort of low level things that, that that can be there so how can we address these how can we try to make things better
1: yeah, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit um in our how to survive in a monogamous world, um episode. Goodness, that was eons yeah, ago. That yeah, that was our first was tour. Our,
2: yeah, San Diego show wow. first tour. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> how time has flown. I know, so it's time <laughs> um, for us to
2: revisit it. Do a little refresher here.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and and we talk about this a lot too. Just like find your tribe. Really build your own community of people. Uh, just with whom you don't really need to omit those parts of your life. Because as we've said before, it's so nice going into a party, for example, with multiple partners or seeing ex-partners or seeing metamors, or whatever and being like, wow, okay, I'm a part of this community and how lovely is that and I don't have to act as though I don't know these people or they don't exist or something, you know... Uh, I'm not cool with that person because I used to date them and it ended horribly and I never want to see them again. You know, something like that. Instead, um, it's really nice to find the people who are your chosen family members. Um, And also try to come out, as we've said before, if it is comfortable, if it is safe for you. Uh, but, But think about it because there are some family members potentially who may really never understand your lifestyle. If you have a 85-year-old grandfather who is, you know, very religious, and maybe it's not going to be fair or good to come out to him, um, or, you know, kind to him, kind to yourself, then maybe don't do that. Maybe think about that before going there. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you do have family members who are really important to you, who you, you think will understand who it is safe to come out to them, then you know, then talk to them about it. Show them that it's not like just a phase in your life um, and that you are happy in this chosen lifestyle and, and
0: what you're choosing to do at and, this point. And realize it might take them a while to get there. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the sooner you start that process, hopefully mm-hmm. the sooner they'll get there. Right, right. Absolutely.
2: So another survival tactic or, you know, a preventative measure, I think... I'm going to go out on a limb here and actually say mm-hmm. that this is optional because I think this Absol- depends I think on all optional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well everything's optional in that case. Uh, but you I just you don't wanna,
1: have to listen to this podcast. Yeah, you, gosh,
2: you can switch us off right now. We don't care. Jeez.
0: <laughs> she <laughs> said don't. it's optional. I'm turning it off.
1: <laughs> um, Please don't.
2: Okay, so this one is an option. I just want to particularly emphasize the optional part of this one, um, and that's to get to. Um, educate others if you're able to do so and i know there's a lot of discussion about like is it really the responsibility of a marginalized community to educate the people who are marginalizing them and i don't think it necessarily is and we've no. dove into that a bunch in talking about emotional labor and this is definitely something that you know people who do identify as trans or people of color or people who are already like spending so much energy just to survive in the world that like also expecting them to educate the ignorant is just another thing on top of the pile. Um, so that's why it's like, if you feel like doing this would not be detrimental to you or to your mental health, um, then yeah, educating. Um, because of course, like more awareness brings more acceptance for everybody. Um, if people are interested, you know, you can provide articles or books or this podcast or even sharing your personal stories to help the people around you understand and for you to show them how this is something that's good for you. And mm-hmm. it's something mm-hmm. that is valuable for for you,
0: And maybe dispel some of their misconceptions. Yes, yeah, exactly. Total and we
2: will talk about that a little bit more toward the very end of this episode. Um, and also, you know, feel free to integrate. You know, I think that connecting to community is good. You know, connecting to a polyamorous community or non-monogamous community is good. However, it's also good to find ways to grow your support network and to connect to a community that isn't just based on polyamory, i found. found. Mm. Um, you know, if you can find friends of yours who are comfortable with you and who are kind to you about what your relationships are. Um, Or if you're able to find some other community that's based on something else, like if you're able to find your D and D community or your rock Mm -hmm. climbing community or your salsa dancing community, that also happens to be uh, a place where you feel like you can be open about who you are and not have to hide it. um, That's also fantastic because it is really good to be able to (laughs) meld the quote unquote normal world uh, with, uh, you know, with your very not normal seeming world. Sorry. I I really want to emphasize putting normal in quotes because it's all relative. Um,
1: Yeah, totally.
2: But I just think it is really important to be able to build your support network out that way. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, those are some of the preventative measures that you can take. And we also wanted to talk about specifically, like if you're in the face of a negative reaction, like it's happening to you in the moment or you're anticipating like, I know when I talk to my dad about this, like that Mm -hmm. this is going to be a bit of a tough conversation. Or if I talk to my ex-partner about this, this is maybe a difficult conversation. We have some tactics that you can employ actually like in the moment um, or as you prepare for that moment that can help you get through it with some ease and some grace. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So first is to take some time Before you're in that situation, to write down the questions and the assumptions that you think you'll come up against, and you know this episode is a good resource for those. Also, like our episode about some of the most common questions, Mm -hmm. Um, that's Mm. a good one. There's lots of articles. Yeah,
2: I wrote an article on Bustle that was specifically. It was like it came out around Thanksgiving time, and it was specifically about handling questions from your family about Mm, being non-monogamous and how to answer them.
0: Yeah. So and and this list you know, could be different depending on the person or your relationship to that person, but to kind of get a sense beforehand of, like, what are the things that I think they might ask, Mm -hmm. right? And then to think a little bit and maybe even write out how you'd like to answer them or what sort of resources you think it would be helpful to provide. I think especially if you're kind of newer to non-monogamy or polyamory yourself, it can be really helpful to have other resources Either just to reference or even to give to people. Um, I really recommend Dr. Eli Sheff's book, When Someone You Love Mm. Is Polyamorous, both as a great way to give in, like for you to get information to give to other people or to even give them that book if it's someone who's willing to read a pretty short book, dispelling some of those myths. Um, But to be able to give like a succinct answer. And to try to not, you know, avoid getting caught off guard by something. So then you don't have that moment. Like I know I've had so many times in my life in general where someone asks you something and like you don't have a good comeback and they're like, uh-huh, see? And then the next day you're like, but this, like, but oh, I but no, I have a perfect response. No, that doesn't make sense. They thought they got me, but they didn't. Like I was just too slow, right? So to kind of <laughs> help avoid those situations. Too slow again, Chase. <laughs> yeah, right? are slow, B.
2: Uh, Can I, I just want to put it out there and I don't want this to turn into a challenge, but Uh honestly, I feel like I have not received a question that I haven't heard before about non-monogamy in at least five years. I I think I've had that conversation so many times in my life, not just in my personal life, but also like through my work and through my job and through interviews and stuff like that that I'm kind of like, I'm waiting for someone to ask me a new question. I'm excited. I'm I'm waiting for, I don't know about a a gotcha, but more of a like, oh, okay, that's a new angle. I had not thought thought about about answering. Like Mm. like I'm ready because it's like everyone hits all the same questions. So I don't uh, want this to sound like a brag, but I I just,
0: okay. Your humble brag aside. Uh, Okay. (laughs) um, That I think that like the reason why that feels that way is because you've you know, not only just talking to people in your personal life, but also in this podcast and being sort of a public figure about it, you've had to answer questions a lot. And so you've kind of gotten through that variety and you've Mm -hmm. taken the time to think about those questions, even writing blogs about them or recording episodes about them so that when people ask them now, it's like, Oh, I kind of know. could do it in my sleep. I know how to answer this in a short way. I know how to give them a longer answer. I know how to give them an answer If they're struggling with it versus if they're asking Mm. from the outside, like you kind of know all the variations on it. And I just want to say, like, you'll get there if -hmm. you are newer to getting these questions, either newer to being out or newer to polyamory or non-monogamy, that that it'll get there. But also there's ways you can get there faster. And that would be things like this, like kind of writing down these questions and thinking about what your answers would be to them. Uh, and then the other thing and this is one that isn't talked about as often but i have personally found to be very useful um and it takes it can take a little bit of finesse i guess but this is now to take not just the things you think people will ask you but to take the assumptions that they're probably going to have and again you can pull this from those lists of like common misconceptions from stuff we've talked about in this episode things that you just think they might be thinking is to take those common assumptions and work them into your conversations with these people, right? That, that you are out to or that you're having these conversations with in order to have a way to kind of dispel these myths that they might be thinking without them having to ask you about them. Like, and, oh
1: yeah, it's all about sex, of course. No,
0: actually, it's not. Blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> like and to, that? And to do it in a way that allows them to save face. Mm -hmm. So you're not saying you probably think that it's this, but it's not trying to do that. Like I'm going to challenge you kind of thing, because that's not going to get anyone on your side. And if your Mm -hmm. goal is to have people be supportive of you, that's not a good way to do it. Um, But if it's more like in the conversation could be like, oh man, you know, I was listening to this podcast recently and they were talking about like how common this absurd belief is that there's like a, a sex addiction. That's part of, of this or that we're always going after people's relationships and trying to break them up so that we can sleep with everyone. And like, that's so ridiculous, right? Like that's totally not that it's very much this other thing, right. To kind of like, obviously try to do it in a way that's organic and not just out of the blue, but to kind of.
2: So the finesse comes in that you were referencing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is
0: to kind of bring up some of these things to dispel those myths without them having to like walk into that wall and be embarrassed Mm. about the fact that they had this misconception.
2: So you mentioned allowing the other person to save face. And I think that's really interesting because it's like what I see like online at least is that it's like no one's embarrassed about having assumptions. (laughs) Like, you know, is that like someone's assuming like, oh, you're a sex addict. And if the other person's like, well, no, actually, you know, people make that assumption a lot, but actually it's not the case that the other person's not like, oh, I'm so embarrassed that you corrected me. It's more like I don't give a hoot. Well, so tell me, yeah, so tell me about yeah, no, that it's
0: it's the same thing we've talked about with like online arguments or with disagreements mm-hmm. is that if you if you try to just like push back sort of exactly counter to something that you're getting from someone, their response is to dig in their heels and push back harder, right it's that like that's not going to get you anywhere. That's not going to get the two of you to agree. If anything, it's going to push you further apart. Uh, we've seen yeah. it in politics, we see it in personal lives, we see it on Facebook every day. That's not a way to to win anyone over or to educate anyone. Um, but the, no, I think the thing is, you're thinking about the internet, which brings out the absolute worst of people all the time. <laughs> and what It I'm, is a
2: different context. And what
0: I'm talking about here is people in person. Okay, all right, that's fair. And that's it's fair. the same thing of like, if you kind of go along and it's like this relationship feels weird because of something and then you either figure out like aha you're assuming I'm this accusing you're a bad person because you made Mm. this assumption about me and you're wrong that's a very different feeling to get that from someone than hearing them dispel that myth in conversation where you might in your head go oh gosh I'm really lucky that I never said something or acted on that assumption because I did assume that you know, like, oh, okay, cool. Or I can ask questions now and go, oh, oh, really? But, like, but, but what about this? And I think that this is something that we've all actually probably done a lot of times in our lives and are just not even aware of it. When you're talking with someone who's from a different country than you, or is different race or a different sexual preference or sexual identity, any of these things that they'll talk about, like, oh, yeah, this thing that I. Have to deal with, or like, oh gosh, it's definitely not like that. Even though I know a lot of people assume it is, and in our minds, we're going, oh okay, let me adjust some of those assumptions I had, rather than waiting to be to make a fool of yourself, and then you're stuck mm-hmm. in that situation of, do I dig in my heels and now try to like defend this position, or do I have to be embarrassed and look bad? And either one of those situations is not good. Yeah, so it's kind of giving people the opportunity to not be put in that situation which will end up being better for both of you so to kind
1: of piggyback off of that maybe like if you are in the middle of a conversation um online or otherwise uh and maybe it it's online. not going Online's very well terrible.
0: <laughs> what no why just online people are awful like Dedeker was pointing out oh, oh. i just oh well, you
2: I, no 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 i just think people are awful i think that's the difference <laughs>
0: Well, okay.
1: Um, So if you're in the middle of a conversation with someone, you're talking to them about polyamory, maybe for the first time, maybe you're coming out um, and potentially it's not going very well, uh, try to do things like highlight where you and the other person agree. So try to find ways that you both are in the same group, like together. Like, for example, someone talks about, oh, well, You're polyamorous, or I think that non-monogamous people in general might be more susceptible to STIs. And, you know, therefore, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, like, just saying something about STIs. Um, And you could say, well, I agree with you, like, I really take sexual health seriously, And then sort of can continue moving on from that standpoint. So you both are obviously agreeing about the sexual health aspect. It's like they Um, think they're
0: bringing something up that you disagree with. And you're saying, actually, 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 no, yeah, I agree with you. That's important to me, too.
1: Yeah, or exactly. Or or they, you know, talk about, oh, well, I really don't like cheaters. I think that that's awful. This just sounds like another way of cheating. And you, know, you can say, yes, I also agree that cheating and infidelity are really destructive, they're really hurtful, um, mm-hmm. but actually that's not what this is, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. So again, you are showing that both of you do agree on a topic, but that that's not necessarily what this is about mm-hmm. by any means, like what their preconceived notions of it are. Um, and then also, again, if it is going real off the rails, no your boundaries in these situations, like try to figure out maybe when it's time to end the conversation. If there's insults being thrown at one another, if there are raised voices, again, if you're online and there's been like five responses, I forget what is this yes, five response yes, thing. yeah. We
2: we talked about this on our online argument episode. That's like there was actually a study done that mm-hmm. if you're having an online debate and there's been more than like, so let's say you're talking, you're debating with someone and it's been more than five replies oh. and neither of you are changing your position or, or like no one's giving anyone any ground or no one's changed their mind. Then like the debate's not going to go anywhere. And so that it's like, sense. if it's been more than five replies, then it's time to just end leave. It. Just be and done. I think, yeah. I think you can kind of apply that to real life a little bit also that If you're finding that, like, you're talking in circles Mm. and that, like, this person's kind of giving the same argument back to you. And I don't know if you even want to try to count literally. I don't know if the same number system would apply. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That, like, you can reach a certain point where it's clear, like, okay, this isn't going anywhere. And so Mm -hmm. it's time to end the conversation. Um, So, again, like we talked about way back in that, you know, online arguments episode. You know, once you've gotten to that point where it's clear, like, okay, this isn't going anywhere. Maybe it is the five replies thing. Maybe it's like, okay, this person has like, now like leveled a personal insult at me and like, and I have a boundary against that. I'm not going to continue this conversation. Um, The best way to get out of it is like, see if you can identify what the core disagreement is and then state it nonviolently, you know, very carefully Mm -hmm. state it and then stop and then extract yourself somehow. So it could sound something like this. You know, you could, like, once you realize, okay, this isn't going anywhere, it's time to end this conversation, it could be. Uh, So it seems like your perspective is that monogamy is something that's required for a relationship to be healthy. Uh, My perspective is that, you know, honesty and communication is what's required for a relationship to be healthy. So I think we value different things in relationships. And then leave it at that. And however you want to end that conversation, whether it's, you know, okay, like, so... Like you know, let's not talk about this, or let's like, or let's just stop talking about this. Or if you're stuck with them, and then it's like, okay, let's just go get ice cream and talk about something else, <laughs> um, <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something like, okay, so it seems like you're concerned that my heart's going to get broken, broken, and that my partners are going to hurt me, and I feel like I'm in relationships where I'm safe and loved, and I think that we just see things differently, and I know that leaving these conversations isn't always so like nice and neat in that way. Like it's if not you, like
0: online where you just log off where you and just then. log off or block them
2: or whatever you want to do. You right. know, it's, it's not like if you're like, okay, I think we see things differently. So let's end things there that the other person is definitely going to be like, okay, sure. Cool. Um, maybe <laughs> they will. I don't know. Uh, but just, I think the important takeaway is just that like take care of yourself you know, and like, it is okay to leave an argument if it's starting to become detrimental to you, or it is okay to leave a conversation like this if it's becoming detrimental to you. Um, just make sure to maintain your boundaries and take care of yourself. And then along those same lines, it's also important to know when to not even start this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, like, again, like, value yourself, prioritize yourself, you know, save your energy, save your emotional labor. Um. It may mean, like, I, you know, I am just not having a good day today. I cannot tackle this conversation with this person now. It doesn't mean necessarily that you'll never talk to them about it, but maybe it's going to be at another time when you actually feel like you have the energy or the emotional labor, you know, to give to it. I think we see this a lot online where someone says something really absurd that we disagree with, but if we know that it's like, oh, well, this comes from my historically super conservative uncle who's, like, also really Mm. transphobic and homophobic, and knowing, like you know what, maybe someday I'll have a talk with him about this. But like right now I'm trying to get some stuff done (laughs) and I, you know, and this is also gonna be upsetting to me and I just, I can't do it right now. So like, it is okay to pick and choose your battles to a certain extent, just making sure that like you are taking care of yourself. You're prioritizing your mental health and your energy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we would love to hear from you. Like, do you have any techniques that you found that have been really effective for you know, for making these interactions go better or better ways of taking care of yourself, uh, anything like that. We would love to hear your take on this. How's this been for you? What's it been like? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on
1: this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook or discourse forums. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on Multiamory.com.